to God. Praise the name of Jesus. Awesome to be reminded of the love of God for us. I love that. I love that song, that hymn. I love the last line. We love him because he loved us. Amen. That's the only reason that we can love him is because he loved us first. Praise the Lord. Let's just pray really quickly. Lord, we just thank you so much for your great love. We thank you so much for your great mercy. We thank you so much for you being a gracious, loving, kind God. And Lord, we just humble ourselves before you today and we honor you, Lord, because there is none that is like you. And so we thank you for your great love, your great mercy, your great redemption that we have experienced in our lives, Lord. And we thank you today because there's no God that's like our God. Come on, give God a Hallelujah. hand of praise. He's worthy. Our children are dismissed to Kids Dome now. Um, and if you would open your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 1. And as always, as, as we prepare to read the Word of God, if you're able to stand, please stand in reverence for God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And as soon as our children are out of the sanctuary, we will begin to read once it's a little bit more still in here. Praise the name of the Lord. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, when you got it, say so. And it says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if you compete, if anyone competes in athletics, he, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Lord, thank you so much for your grace, for your love, for your word. Father, we thank you for your presence and we thank you for your goodness toward us. And Lord, this, this morning we just come to you and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to move in our midst, that you would speak to us now, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. I pray, God, that we would not be doer, hearers of your word alone, but that we would be doers of it that we would respond to your word, Lord God, that we would not just check off a box in our soul as though we have heard or that we've been in church, but God, that we would really 
take seriously what is being spoken unto us and that we would recognize you calling us to action for your glory and for your honor, Lord God. I thank you for your word that is truth, and I pray that it would penetrate the depth of our souls, that you be glorified in us. In Jesus' good name, everyone said? You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, just raise your hand really quickly, please. Hold it up there. Uh, I want to make sure everyone gets an outline. It's important to me that you have an outline. A couple of reasons I like to remind you of weekly. And um, I'm going to start having you all repeat these so that way, you know, you just, because I repeat them every week, so you should know them by now. But um, number one, you can follow along with me in the intro of the sermon. Uh, Number two, it is there's some questions inside of that outline that you can answer, like how did the Lord speak? to you? How are you going to respond to the Lord? Um, There's places for you to take notes, and so it's important that you write stuff down. And the third reason that it's important is because as you learn God's Word and and, and you make efforts to make disciples, it's important that you utilize the tools that God gives you. And one of the tools that we provide that, you know, that is there for you to help you make disciples and helping you share the Word of God is the outline that you have in your hand. Because you can utilize that and you can sit down with someone And you can share with them what you're learning. And so if you're not sure, right, if you're not um, 100% positive how to make a disciple, it's the way that Jesus did it. He taught his disciples and his disciples taught. And that's what you would do as well. And so that's the reason why the outlines are important. And so now that everyone's hand is down, I think, and everyone has an outline, I want you to follow along with me here. We're we're continuing in our apologetic series. And actually today we're going to wrap it up. So today is going to be the last um, sermon in our apologetic series, and it's not because it couldn't have continued on. It's just because I feel like we've come to a point that we've really driven home the truths that we need to hear on this particular topic. But today we're going to talk about um, rightly divided, and and it's really based on verse 15. Look at your Bible with me. Verse 15, it says here, um, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so rightly divided is the title of the message this morning because all of this series, this apologetic series about defending the say, about defending the faith, contending for the faith, all of it has been about this verse right here in essence. And it is about rightly dividing the word of truth so that way you are able to share the word of God appropriately. And so we've had a bunch of different people that have come and shared. And last week on um, Brother Anthony, he got, he got up here and did a phenomenal job sharing. You know, a lot of you have testified and, and communicated with me. Uh, the job that he did. And so I'm grateful that he was able to share the words, um, the word of God with you and help you to be better equipped to deal with those who, you know, they're, they're, they're a great evangelistic opportunity for a lot of you. They knock on your doors every Saturday. And so if you want to get up, you can go ahead and have a good conversation and lead them to Jesus. Amen. At least work on your skills. I mean, it's an opportunity, right, to sharpen your skills. I know you're like, man, Bishop, I want to be asleep on Saturday morning. I'm just saying, right, take one for the team, right? Get up, you know, and, and use that. You know, uh, uh, there's, there, there's not a lot of people that don't know Jesus that are knocking on your door weekly. Hello. Just saying, I'm just saying, right? And so, anyway, in our, in our neighborhood, there's no soliciting, so they don't come to our house. But, you know, so I don't have that opportunity. But for you that have it, glory to God, use it um, as an opportunity. I have in the past, when I, I, I will share with you real quick. I remember when, we, when I first got saved, I was a, a young man. I was a few months old in the Lord. And this um, older gentleman and this young lady, they came to our door. And they started to share with me, you know, the, the whole story. And, and, um, and I remember I was shook for a moment. I mean, I was shook, like, to the core. I was like, man, do I believe the right 
right thing. Like, that's how good they were. And I was so young. And I thank God, you know, because my dad was um, happened to call right after they left. And so while I'm, you know, my mind going through this stuff in my head, you know, I get on the phone with my dad and I'm like, man, he's like, what's going on? I'm like, man, I just had this conversation with these people, man. And I'm like, I don't know if I believe the right thing. And he was like, well, who? And I told him, Jehovah's Witness. He's like, listen, man. He said, you believe the right thing. He said, my dad is actually a printer. Um, he's one of like the superintendents of the Jehovah's Witnesses. So my, my grandfather would have been that. And he said, and it's a false, you know, teaching and stuff. And so I was like, praise the Lord, right? So I, I believe the right thing. And then I went home with that because they were coming back next week, you know. So I was like, I got a week to get ready. So I was up in Philippians, and I was all up in the scriptures. And i never forget the moment that I was in the backyard hanging up clothes in the backyard. And as I was coming around the corner to come back in the house, they were walking up my driveway. And I promise you, I felt like a blanket of the Holy Ghost come on me. I was like, oh, it's on right now. And I sat down, and I was like, look, let's talk about this. And so we started having a conversation about, I mean, they were trying to come at me about the deity of Jesus. I was like, no, no, no. I said, let me show you what your Bible says. Let me show you some stuff, glory to God. And so I was able to have that. They never came back, though. But anyway, I did, I did share with them the truth, and it was an opportunity. But, but, but I, what I want you to know is that the reason why I was able to do that is because of this scripture here. Because I was diligent, right? I, I, I dug into the scriptures. I, I got into the word of God. I didn't, listen to me, I didn't need to go and study all the philosophy of the Jehovah's Witnesses. I needed to study what the Bible said. And when I had that truth, I was able to present it to them. And I was able to know what I was communicating. And so that's the reason why this is so important. And so the first um, paragraph in your outline here, today... We will conclude our apologetic series as a focus, but it should continue as a practice in our lives. And so while I'm not going to get up here, you know, for the next, you know, rest of my life and talk about, you know, defending the faith per se, this should be something that we live. It should be something that we are doing, something that we are practicing. The whole point, now think about this, Ephesians chapter 4 says, he gives some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the equipping of the saint, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for what? for the work of the ministry, right? And so the reason why we've invested time, we've invested money, we've invested all of these things to be able to equip you, not for you to walk away and say, okay, we went through the apologetic series. That wasn't it. It was so that way you can go out there and you can be a person who is able to share the faith and know what you're talking about in different situations. So if you look here on the second part of that paragraph there, to be students of Jesus as his disciples, we must give our lives to the defense of the faith. Here when I say this, scriptural faith, not traditional practices, but biblical principles, not systems of theology, but scriptural truth. What I want you to understand is that we need to defend the word of God, not our tradition. Today I was doing our vision carry orientation. And as I was doing our vision carry orientation, today we were talking about the history and the beliefs of Faith Elma Fellowship. And one thing that I point out in every single vision carrier class when I do that part of beliefs, the first thing that we believe in this church is that we believe that the Bible is the, the inspired and infallible word of God. And I say this in the class and I'll say it right now. The word of God God is the highest authority in this church, not me, not the elders in this church. The word of God is the highest authority. That's the reason why I tell you I'm open. You have a question about something that I preach or something that I say, please. Listen, I know, you know, oh, Bishop, you're intimidating, all that kind of stuff. Listen, send me a text. I don't care. Send me an email. Do whatever is, is less intimidating for you. You don't have to come into my office and sit down and have a conversation. I get that. But please don't sit there with questions about something that I say and never ask because you'll never know if what I'm saying is right. And listen, can I say this? The word of 
God is infallible. I'm not. Did you hear me? The word of God is inerrant. I am not. I am not perfect. I'm still growing in my faith. There are certain things that are pretty crystal clear in my life and that I understand what the scriptures teach. But here's what I want you to get. The reason why I say that is because we are here not to defend, you know, some tradition or some system of theology. That's not what we're here to do. The reason why, uh, the reason why we are a non-denominational church, the reason why I went to a Bible college, and I'm still in there, y'all keep praying for me, um, the reason why I chose a Bible college that was a in interdenominational, non-denominational Bible college was because I didn't want to go and dig deeper into the word of God based upon a system that someone sets up. But can I tell you something? Regardless of whatever, everybody has a system. But you know what you need to do with every system, with every tradition? Check it by the word of God. Make sure that the full breadth of God's word, because see, every system knows how to defend its positions. Every, every tradition knows how to defend its tradition. But I'm not into all of that. What I want us to do is be proficient in the word of God. Being able to know what the scriptures teach so that way when someone comes and communicates i'll give you a prime example when i was young in the lord the first year of me being a christian and i encourage you listen to me we live in a day where you can google everything we live in a day that you go right now you can google whatever you can ask any question of google and it's going to bring it up you have a question about this you have a question about that the answer is going to pop up and you know what you can do you can click on all of those links and you can go and read what somebody else is communicating that's what you can do or you know what you can do you can sit down and say i'm going to be a student of the word of god I'm going to be one who trusts, like 1 John says, that we have not need of a teacher because there is an anointing that dwells in us, right? And so what, what that's talking about, it's not disregarding teachers. What John is saying to them is he's saying, listen, you don't need someone to tell you these things. There's an anointing that is inside of you, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth dwells inside of you and combined with now listen to what i'm saying here the reason why he's saying that is because these people have been well instructed in the word of god they have been well instructed in the scriptures they have been well instructed in what god has communicated and so here's the thing the holy spirit that dwells in us is able to teach us able to show us when something is erroneous when something is incorrect and so my example is i remember being young in the lord and i would hear people get up and they would talk about the rapture but the way that they would talk about the rapture didn't sit right inside of my soul because it was always a scare tactic. It was always to make you afraid. Now, mind you, part of the reason why I'm here today is because I was afraid of the rapture. Hello. <laughs> so even though it was erroneous, the way that they were presenting it, you know, I still understood. And it wasn't so much that I was afraid of the rapture. I was afraid of all the other stuff that I was like, man, I don't have to go through all that hell. I was like, I don't want to do that, right? Now, listen, I believe in the rapture, and we're going to talk about that in, 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 a, few, in a few weeks because I'm going to walk through First and Second Thessalonians, and so we're going to talk about that. Now, my position on the rapture may have changed, but here's what I want you to know. The Bible speaks of us being caught up to be with the Lord. That's what the Scriptures teach. But here's what I want you to understand. When they would, when they would talk about this, now, now I, up until maybe seven years ago, something like that, I didn't become, like, I didn't dig real deep into, like, eschatology, end-time stuff. I didn't really dig real deep into that, you know, because I just believe like this. I believe, listen... You need to be a Christian. You need to love Jesus. You need to be serving him. And look, if it's pre, mid, post, whatever, you need to be ready for whatever comes. That's it. Amen. That's my position. I still hold to that position to some extent. And so here's the thing. We need to be ready. We need to be serving. We need to be faithful to Christ. But when I would sit down, the first year of me being a Christian, I, the Holy Spirit would not allow me to read anything. 
except the Bible. That was all that I read was just the scriptures. I told you this before. The first three months of being a Christian, I was in the word of God, read the whole New Testament. I remember weeping. I didn't even know what an evangelist was, but when I was reading like 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, where he tells Timothy to, Timothy to do the work of an evangelist, I'm boohoo crying like I don't even know what I'm crying about, but the Holy Spirit is like dealing with me like do the work of an evangelist. I'm like, I don't know. God. But I didn't know what it was about, right? But the spirit of God was working in my heart. So what he was saying is go out there and what he was saying to me was he's, he's communicating and he communicates to the rest of us be a voice that brings the good news of Jesus Christ to a dying world. That's what he's communicating there. That's what he's telling Timothy. And so anyway, as I'm sitting in this church, you know, in, in the church that I came from and I'm hearing people and you know, people would have dreams and they would have all this stuff and they would get up and communicate. Every time they would talk about it, like something just didn't sit right. Something just didn't sit right. And what it was is that the rapture, listen to me now, the rapture is not supposed to be something you're afraid of. It's supposed to be your blessed hope. Did you hear that? When I communicate, when we walk through First and Second Thessalonians in, in, in a couple of months, and we walk through this end time stuff, what I'm hoping is that you will be encouraged as you look forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. As you look forward to that time when we are caught up to be with the Lord and we're able to experience Him. That's what it's supposed to be. But you know how I knew that? It wasn't because I went to Bible college. I hadn't gone to Bible college. It's because I was in the Word of God and the Spirit of God was showing me the difference between what is right. And what is wrong? That's just one example. But if we are in the word of God, if we are in the word of God, rightly dividing it, and the Holy Spirit knows how to do this, right? Um, scripture should interpret scripture. That's what I understand. If we are in the word of God, then we are going to be able to be those people that are apologists. We'll be able to be those people that have conversation. I gave you the example of my dad. I didn't go and dig into, um, you know, the whole Jehovah's Witness background for me to understand them. I, digged, I, I dug in one thing. They asked me a question about the deity of Jesus. And you know what I did? I went into my Bible. Hello. Let me let, we didn't have Google back then. I'm, a little, I'm, just, I'm just saying. It was probably there, but it wasn't like it is today. I, it wasn't there. I don't know how, how old Google is, but that's like 20, 20, 21 years ago. So y'all do the math, whatever, right? So Google, I couldn't Google it. it was, there, there was no Bible. There, like Bible software was like a new thing. I didn't even start using Bible software until probably like maybe like 10 years ago or something like that. Like I, I was still like turning pages and concordances. It took me forever to reference stuff. Today, it's like I hover over something and it's like, boom, I got 19 references. Glory to God. <laughs> It took, a, it took a six, eight-hour study time and condensed it to like two because I don't have to turn anywhere, right? I love that. Glory to God. But here's the thing. The reason why I knew what was right and what was wrong, it wasn't because some person told me or I read it somewhere. It's because the Spirit of God and the Word of God were showing me the truth. And if there's one thing that I hope that you will get out of all of this, man, is you and I need to be students of God's Word. And not just people who read the Bible, but who prayerfully, worshipfully seek God in a passionate pursuit of him and that we want to know him through the scriptures through which he reveals himself. Because here's the problem with a whole bunch of folks, and I'm going to talk about some of this stuff in a moment, but a whole bunch of folks, they just want experiences with God. They don't want the truth of God. See, they read a scripture like 1 like, like John chapter 2 that talks about you have no need of a teacher, and all of a sudden, oh, I don't need to read the Bible. I have the Holy Spirit, yes, and the Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth. And what truth is that? The word of God is the truth. Let's go down to our next, our next paragraph here. I haven't even got through my intro. It's already like 15 minutes, glory to God. 
The church today, that just tells y'all what y'all are in for. You realize I didn't preach last week, right? And then I've been in a leadership conference Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and a training on Saturday. So I'm like overflowing right now, glory to God. So anyway, I, I, you know, um, so the church today in second paragraph here, sadly, is more divided than ever. In part, due to technology, which I just referenced, the blogosphere is filled with people who convey half-truths about others or complete lies, point out decontextualized quotes of imperfect people who don't believe exactly as they do, yet love the Jesus of the Bible as well as the Bible Jesus embodies because Jesus is the Word made flesh and the Holy Spirit who inspired it. Did you hear what I just said? We have a church that is sadly, sadly divided. You want to know why? I'm going to tell you something. The, the reason why the nation is in the condition that it is in, in, in part, in, in a huge way, is because of a divided church. Did you hear me? Because of a divided church. Because of a church that has not fought for unity like we should. Because of a church that has decided that they're going to go ahead and, listen, we don't even know how to have conversations. You know, I thank God because, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm the president of the Oviedo Minister, Christian Ministers uh, Association. I can't remember the name of it. so long. But, um, you know, I've been this for like 10 years or something like that. And can I tell you something? I, there, there's a minority of us that speak in tongues. Did you hear me? The majority of the guys that show up, they don't speak in tongues. The majority of the guys that show up, they don't believe exactly like I believe. But you know what they do believe? They believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Are you hearing me? They believe firmly in what the scriptures teach about who God is. They believe that you cannot live in sin. You cannot live in unrighteousness. I have one friend, one friend. He's, he's actually part of, now hear me when I say this, he's part of the Episcopal Church. As a matter of fact, the um, and, and, um, um, Canterbury Retreat Center, it's an Episcopal place. And so y'all know all the craziness that's going on there. And you know why he hasn't left the Episcopal Church? He hasn't left the Episcopal Church. And mind you, he believes like I believe when it comes to holiness, what marriage is supposed to be, and all of these things. The the reason he hasn't left is because he believes that he is a voice in that church to call those out who will still walk in truth. That's why he hasn't left. That's the only reason why he hasn't left. And so the, the, the reality is we have this division. And, and, you know, and you know why I say that this is the reason why, why, why our nation is in the way that it is? Well, you think about what Jesus prayed. Can we think about Jesus' prayer? What did he pray in John chapter 17? He prayed, Lord, let them be one as you and I are one that the world may know that you sent me. You know why the world doesn't know who Jesus is? because Jesus, nobody's listening to Jesus' prayer. Nobody's paying attention to what Jesus says. And so we have this division. And you know what? Here's the reality. Reality is, look at the third paragraph here. The truth divides, and rightly divided will call for and cause division in the church. Did you hear what I just said? Sounds like I'm contradicting myself. The reality is that there will be some divisions. Like when there was this reformation that took place, you know, hundreds of years ago, Martin Luther, you know, he came to realize that there were some things that were, that were defective. There were some things that were, that were totally unscriptural within the Catholic Church, and they refused to repent. They refused to turn from those errors. They refused to embrace what the scriptures teach you. And one day I'll talk about the five solas that are there within that reformation. They refused to believe those things. They, they, they refused to believe that. And because of that, he reformed. And, he, and, and there was that. So you know what? There was a division that took place. There, there, there was a rightly, there was a right division because they were going to kill the guy because he was calling him to repentance. Hello. And so that's how we became Protestants. You know, Protestants protesting. Hello. Doesn't mean you need to protest everything, but it's just the fact is we were protesting against those things that were erroneous. But even in the Protestant church, we have these divisions that are unnecessary. So here's the thing. 
However, it should never be, the last part of this paragraph so we can move on to my points here. It should never be used for our agenda. The word of God is going to create division. It should never be used for our agenda. But what God intended, that is to teach, to rebuke, to correct, and for training in righteousness. By default, that causes our faith to grow, our discernment to increase, and above all, our lives to change. Did you hear that? When we use the word of God for what the word of God is supposed to be used for, which is to teach, to train, to rebuke, to correct, to bring unity based upon scripture within the body of Christ, then we're able to grow the way that God wants. Here's the big idea for today. Rightly divided truth, and these are the three things I'm going to talk about. Rightly divided truth leads to discipleship, discernment, and devotion to Christ. I'll say that again. Rightly divided truth leads to discipleship, discernment, and devotion to Christ. When we rightly divide the scriptures, that is what the scriptures are going to lead us to. It is going to lead us to discipleship. The reason why I say the same three things every single week regarding the handouts that we give you, it is because I need you to understand that we are supposed to be making disciples. We are not supposed to be idle hearers of the word of God. The reason why I pray, and I always throw this in the prayer, I may not pray it exactly the same way. I may stumble on my words like I did today, but I pray, Lord, let us don't just be hearers of your word, but let us be doers of the word of God is because we are not supposed to just come to church, check off our religious box for Sunday, and then walk away and do nothing with what we heard. We're supposed to be disciple makers. And so when we rightly divide the word of God, when we rightly divide the truth of scripture, it's going to lead us to discipleship, to discernment, and devotion. And so say this with me. Rightly divided truth leads to generational discipleship. Rightly divided truth leads to generational discipleship. So we read verses 1 through 13, but let's look at what Paul says here really quickly. He says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And look what he says. And the things that you have heard from me. So we have a father, spiritual father, speaking to a spiritual son, right? And I'm just, he's not saying all that here. He calls Timothy his son in the faith and other places. But he says, you have heard from me. He says, do what? He said, among many witnesses. So it isn't like Paul says this stuff in private. He says this among others. He's been teaching this. He says to, he says to Timothy, he says, commit these to faithful men. So father to son, son to other men who will do what? Who will be able to teach others also. And so what we see is we see this generational idea, this, this, this spreading of this discipleship, right? This communication, the things that you've heard from me, share with faithful men. And that way they can share it with others. And that way we see this. The reason why we're here 2,000 years later after the resurrection of Jesus is because of what? Because someone listened to this verse. Are you here? Because someone heard what this verse said. You, therefore, look what he says. I love this. This is encouragement. This is encouragement for all of us in here today as well. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Amen. Push your neighbor and say, you must endure. You must endure hardship. Hold on a second. I thought Christianity was all roses and peaches and everything was great. I thought when I came to Jesus, I was just going to be all right and I was never going to have another problem in the world. Hold on a second. Paul is telling his son in the faith, no, 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 sir. You are going to have to endure. And he he throws something else in there. He says, and you're going to have to endure like a soldier. How many many of y'all in here were ever military? Just raise your hand real quick if you were ever military. Come on, let's give these these, these gentlemen, these, these folks a hand, right? And so I think... Y'all can correct me if I'm wrong. I think being a soldier is probably one of the toughest jobs that there is. Do y'all agree, gentlemen? Right? 
Like there's some training you go through. My, 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 one of my younger brothers, he was a, he, he was a, um, he was a Marine, and um, he told me about one thing in boot camp. He said that they had to stand in this, in this sand thing, and, and, like, and like a sand, um, like, I don't know, it was like a sand pit, basically, and there were gnats that were just like biting at you and, all, and, and, these, and these sand fleas, and you couldn't move. You had to just, like, stand there. That's just, like, one thing. And I'm just like, that's terrible. Like, you got to stand. Like, have you ever had something biting you and just imagine, I can't move. I just got to stand here at attention. That's crazy, right? But that's all part of this training that goes for a soldier. And Paul is using this terminology, and he's telling him, look, you have to endure as a good soldier. In other words, there's going to be some hardship, and you need to realize this. You and I are in a battle. We didn't sign up to just hang out. We didn't sign up just to, you know, get to know folks. We didn't just sign up just to have fellowship with each other. We signed up to be soldiers in this army. And Paul says, listen, man, you are going to have to endure hardship as a good soldier. And he goes on and he, you know, he says, he says these other things. He, he, says, um, he, he says in verse, um, no one engaged, verse 4, he says, no one engaged in warfare, entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlists him as a soldier. And so one of the points that he makes here is that when you become a soldier, I mean, you know, one of the things that happens in, in our day, when you become a soldier, you're taken away to this boot camp. You're taken away from family. You're taken away from friends. There's a difference between those who are military and those who are civilians. There's a difference, right? There's a, different, there, there's a difference there. You know, somebody who is in the military and someone who's not. And so what he's saying is someone who is in the military, someone who is a soldier, you are supposed to be given, given to not the things of this world, but you're supposed to be given to the mission that you've been given. Remember, Jesus is reminiscent of what Jesus said when he was talking about the, 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 uh, the parable of the sower. And he talked about seeds falling among the thorns. And he said what? He said that these thorns, they choke out the life. And what are those, what are those thorns? The cares of this world. And so Paul is saying, hey, you're going you're gonna to have to endure some stuff. But in, it's, it's all in the name of what? In the, in the name of discipleship. Rightly divided truth leads to generational discipleship. It is about making disciples. He goes on to say, he says, and also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. You guys have heard these things, you know, people that go, they win medals and stuff like that. Then they find out later on they were doing steroids. They were using some kind of enhancement drugs and whatever. You know, all of these different things occur because they weren't playing according to the rules. And so what, it, what, what happens is it takes away from that. And so the same thing for us, we're supposed to, so it gives us this example. We're, 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 we're like these soldiers, you know, that are in this battle. We are like these athletes that are competing according to the rules that God has set up. And the last one here says, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember, and he encourages him with the gospel. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. And so, hey, I want you to know something. Not only are you called to endure hardship, but this is part of the hardship you're going to endure. Some people, because you are going to be a person who is living for righteousness, who's living a life for God's glory, you're going to be looked at as an evildoer. Stand up for the truth in any situation, and you're going to be looked at in, in, in the face of certain people, and you are going to be looked at as an evildoer, one who stands up for whatever it is that the Scriptures teach that the culture says is not accurate. You know what happens? You're going to be a person who is going to be looked at as someone who's an evildoer. There's something wrong with you. You know, you're this, you're that, whatever. And it's not because you're not loving, you're not gracious. It's because you want to stand for truth, and they want to buck the truth. 
They want to go against the truth. They want to deny the truth. They don't want to live for the truth. And so we are called for us to be in this relationship. So the Apostle Paul calls Timothy, who is his son in the faith. He left Timothy, for those you don't know, he left Timothy in Ephesus to set things in order, to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, not in his own strength. And in doing so, he was to think generationally. He heard from Paul and was to pass on to, on to men who, who, who they were going to hear from Paul what, what Paul had communicated, and they were to teach others who would also follow suit. Again, that's why we're here. Making disciples requires a clear call, and this is what Paul is doing here. It requires a clear call to devotion to Jesus that includes trust in his grace and commitment to his service. Grace empowers us. Hear me when I say this. Grace empowers us to endure hardship as we serve as soldiers in the army of the Lord, as we compete as one who is competing for a prize, and as we labor like the one in the harvest who is laboring hard. Those people, listen, there, there's people that, are, that, that, have, that have dealt with farming. I've never done any kind of farming, but what I do know is that those people, they, they have a different type of strength. They have a different type of endurance. They have a different type of work ethic because they got to rise up before anybody goes, and they go to bed. You know, they, they rise up before anyone else gets up, and they're already working, and they're going to bed until the sun down. I mean, y'all know that, you know, that, that, that I love um, Little House on the Prairie. Um, I've seen all the episodes, so I haven't watched it in a long time, but yo, my man was working hard. Hello. That was real work. And when Paul is talking, it's, it's akin to that. I mean, they didn't have tractors and, you know, all this kind of stuff. The tractor was the mule in front of you and you holding on to some, you know, some, I can't remember what it's called, but you're holding on to something and you're going ahead and you're going through these fields. And that, that's crazy. Hello. That's real work. That's real hard work. And that's what he's saying that Christianity is like. And so I know y'all are like, man, this is rough. It's rough. It's rough. And the reason we do it is because of the gospel. The reason why we endure hardship as soldiers of the Lord is because of the gospel. And when I say the gospel, it's not just, you know, just the gospel. It's what the gospel embodies. You know, we talk about it throughout our services, how we are sinners by birth. We are sinners by nature. We are sinners by our decision. And God is a good God, a loving and gracious God. And because of our sin, we are separated from him. You heard it. Um, Brother Eric was saying it. Pastor Aldo was saying it. Talking about us being enemies of God. You know, I always say this. When I think about that, man, if there is one person that I don't want to be his enemy, it is God. You know, I mean, like when you were growing up, there was like that bully in school. You know, there was that person that you didn't want to be on their back. But listen to me. God is much greater than the greatest person we know. And, he, and the Bible says that we are his enemies. The Bible says we are children of wrath. That's what the scriptures teach. And so that wrath that's upon us is that if we don't turn from our sin, we will experience eternity separated from God in hell, separated, suffering. That is terrible news. But the beauty of the gospel is what? Is that Jesus came because he loved us. Jesus came and died in our place, absorbing our penalty for sin, absorbing because we break God's laws. So God brings his son who dies in our place so that way we can have what? A reconciled, a relationship that is brought back with God and we can now know him here in this earth now and walk with him in a relationship. That should excite somebody. 
that we are able to know him, that we are able to fellowship with him, that we are able to worship him. Like when we sing that song, I'm a friend of God. I don't sing that song bashfully because I'm not a friend of God because I'm a good friend. I'm a friend of God because he's a faithful friend. Are you hearing me? You see, the, the reality is that I can rejoice when we sing these songs, not because of my greatness, but because of his greatness, not because of my goodness, but because of his goodness and because he declares me justified, meaning that he has made me right with himself he has declared me he has declared me forgiven and no longer guilty that's a beautiful thing and then he offers me an eternity with him to spend it with him and that is the motivation it is that this God who I was I mean I was a bad child hello you know my mom you know she's here right now and I remember when I got to my teenage years I mean you know when I was younger I wasn't that bad but when I got you know right before I came to Jesus right cuz I was I was about to meet him she was going to ensure me of that But I remember my mom would tell me you know I'd be in the house and you know and, and I would drop the F bomb cuz I had a ter I mean mama I was terrible I dropped the F bomb my mom would be like don't say that in the house and I would drop the F bomb again just to disrespect her That was the kind of kid I was I, was, I, was, I wasn't a good kid. I was a kid that, you know, you want to, like, slap. You know I mean? Like, whoop, straight up, just to whoop, because he was just, I mean, that, that's how I got, you know. The, to, to, but in, in, the, in the sight of God, even worse, dishonoring him, and that's all of us, dishonoring him with our lifestyle, dishonoring him with our thoughts, and the beauty is that Jesus comes and dies for us. The beauty is that Jesus says, look, despite you, I'm going to die for you. Despite your sinfulness, I'm going to die for you. Despite your unholiness, your unrighteousness, I'm, I'm going to take you from being my enemy to making you my friend, to making you my child, to adopting you into my family, to making you fam. Hello. That's what he says. That's what he does. That's, what, that's the motivation for you to endure hardship. The second thing, repeat this after me, say rightly divided truth. Leads to discernment. Look at verses 14 through 19 that we haven't read yet. Paul says this. He says, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. And so the first thing Paul is doing here, he's telling them, look, man, don't, 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 don't begin caught, in, caught up in foolish words. Right? Don't, don't, don't get caught up in words to no profit. Don't strive about things that you, that, that you don't even need to be talking about. Because what? I want you to see that. Because it brings ruin of the hearers. When you and I are having foolish conversations, it doesn't help anyone. It only hurts. That's what the scripture says. And then he says, do what? He says, be diligent to present yourself, a, to, to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth and look what he does he tells them to not have these conversations striving about words to no profit and then he goes on to say but shun profane and idle babblings for they will increase to more ungodliness and their message will spread like cancer Hamanias and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth saying that the resurrection is already past and they overthrow the faith of some nevertheless the solid foundation of God stands having this seal the Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity now I want you to know that's my new that, that's that's one of my new favorite verses verse 19 
I was gonna I was gonna preach a message. I told I I I, I didn't tell you all this, but um, last week there was a little bit little bit of confusion with the handouts because I didn't I didn't get with the guys to print out some generic handouts for the message, and so there was a there, there was a handout that was given called the Seal of Salvation or Salvation Seal something like that, and that was the message that I was gonna preach, and that was the message that I was gonna deal with the big question: Can you lose your salvation? And I decided to forego that message because I feel like, you know what, why am I going to have this conversation? Can I give you the answer to all of this stuff? It's right there in this verse. The Lord knows who are his, and those who are his, you should depart from iniquity. Are you hearing me? The Lord knows who are his. Listen, I've said this before. I want to say this again, just, just in case you didn't hear me the first hundred times. Nowhere in the Bible, it's a bad question to ask if you can lose your salvation. Because nowhere in the Bible are you going to find a verse that says you lose your salvation. Are you hearing me? Now, I'm going to tell you what I will do for you. I will do this for you. I will send you the outline that I put together that has all the scriptures that talk about the eternal security, the people who would argue for that position. But then I'm going to also give you, in there are the other scriptures that I was going to go through to help you understand that, listen, there's some real warnings in the Bible to Christians that we need to heed because either God was wasting ink and he really didn't mean any of that or he really did. And I'm just saying, I just told you the word of God is the highest authority, not some system of theology. And so what I think is that God was really serious. And what, I, and what I've concluded in my own life is that you should not walk around like, oh, my goodness, am I going to lose my salvation? No, you shouldn't be living like that. You should be living your life in full confidence of what Jesus did. But you should also walk with a fear of the Lord. And if you are living in sin, I don't care what prayer you prayed, how many times you prayed it. I don't care how many times you go to church. If you are practicing sin in your life, there is no way that you have any assurance of going to heaven. I don't care what scriptures you memorized. Hear what I'm saying. And so we're going to touch on that a little bit, but that's just my new verse. So from now on, when someone has that question, this is what you go to. The Lord knows who are his. Hello. We don't need to argue about all that. The Lord knows who are his. And all of those who name the name of Christ, let them turn from iniquity. Let them turn from sin. If you're a Christian, live like it. If you're a believer, live like it. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe what Jesus did, then live that life. But here's the thing. Rightly, dividing, rightly divided truth leads to discernment. And so the word of God must be the main source of truth that we, are, that, that we are ingesting. We must be in the word of God. I told you about my first year of being a Christian and how the Lord had me. Every other source of truth is a supplement, and we must never trust any source above the Scriptures and must strive to become proficient in our understanding of the Bible above all books, blogs, or other believers. Are you hearing me? We must make sure that everything that we read, that we filter it through the Word of God. And so we must be diligent students of the Scriptures that are able to recognize the difference between true and false teaching as well as true and false teachers. And let me tell you something, there is a difference. I want you to hear me because I'm about to touch on some things that were brought up in some names. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name some names. Hello, somebody. And here's the thing I want you to get about the naming name thing and where I stand on the whole naming name thing. Paul named names, but you want to know who he named names to? He named names to the church that he was an apostle over. Did you hear me? That is who Paul named names to. He, didn't, he, he wasn't writing to people that he had no relationship with. And whenever he named a name, it was those people. It was people that knew him. And it was people who knew these people they were talking about. And that's the reason why I did it. So you know what that means? That means that as a pastor of a church, I should name names to you if we have to have conversations about that. I don't feel like I need to get up here and name every single heretic's name. I don't need to go through all that. I need to preach the truth. And that when you hear one of those crazy people, they'll be like, no, nah, that ain't truth. I remember sitting in the back of the church one time in the old building. We had, a, we had a minister that came and he was preaching. And 
He's a friend of mine, a good friend of mine. I love him. He loves Jesus. You know, he's one, he's one of the men that I, listen, I've seen this guy. I've known this guy for as long as I've been in ministry. He's been in ministry, and he is one of the guys that stands for holiness and righteousness. But you want to know what? He, 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 he has some mixed teaching in his mind. And in one of his preachings, he was, he was in the front, he was preaching, and he said, you know, we're little gods. The whole church, literally, this is crazy. I, I thought it was hilarious. I was sitting in the back because, you know, I don't sit in the front a lot when other people are preaching unless it's like on a Sunday. But it was a different service night. And, and, and almost the whole church turned back and looked at me like, that ain't right. <laughs> I'm like, y'all know it ain't right. Just, just go ahead and X that out because every other thing he said was good. He said one thing that was wrong, and he didn't even mean it the way that people say they mean it. He didn't mean it like that. He was trying to communicate that we have the DNA of God. Do you believe that? I mean, I don't know. We're, we're saved with an uncorruptible seed. That's what happens, right? The Spirit of God dwells in us. It doesn't mean, now listen, I, I don't believe that we're little gods. Hello, somebody. Let's just get that out of here. Let's get that quick before I get misquoted. Hello. I don't believe that. That's the reason why the church looked back at me and was like, ah, I don't know. Because it wasn't right. Because it was erroneous. It was a wrong teaching. But here's the thing. There is a difference between a false teacher and a false teaching. There is a difference between someone who has some of their theology that's just, uh, you know, not accurate, and they teach something that is incorrect, okay? And as long as those things are not predominant throughout all of their messages, as long as that is not all of their theology that is being embodied, then you know what? You can't call that person a false teacher. I won't do it. You can do what you want to do. But you need to be real careful when you go opening your mouth and say, that person is a false teacher. Be real careful. Make sure, and I'm going to give you some, some, some things here. But here's the thing. We need to make sure that we know the difference. And that we recognize, yo, when someone says something that's wrong, that's wrong, and that's it. And you know what I do? I'm going to tell you what I do. With my, with my brother that I'm telling you about, you know what I did? After that service, I had a conversation with him. And I was like, listen, man, I said, you know, you said this up here when you were preaching to, you know, preaching to the church, and you probably noticed they all looked back at me. I wasn't correcting him for, for the church. I was correcting him because I love him. Because I don't want him to get up there and say something that is erroneous because I love my brother. And you know what? When we sat down and had the conversation, he was like, man, I didn't mean it like that. That's not what I meant. You know, that isn't what he was trying to communicate. The fact of the matter is he just shouldn't say it because, it, you know, it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't make the point that he's trying to make. He can do that another way. But that's how we're supposed to have conversation with one another. And so anyway, when we look at some of the things that have come into the church, the whole thing of defending the faith, and I'm going to run through these really quickly here. But... In our days, we are plagued with false teaching as well as false teachers. The church must be aware and be on guard against all of the lies. Say all of the lies. All of the lies of the enemy that are trying to infiltrate the church. And so let me start off by saying we must be aware of the word of faith influence in the church. Are you hearing me? The word of faith is a prosperity gospel that we hear. I always say prosperity garbage because that's what it is. And, and, and I want you to know, someone, when, 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 when our brother um, was preaching, um, Brother Elijah, when he was communicating, he brought up a person by the name of Joyce Meyer. And listen, I know that some of you are, you know, have an affinity towards Joyce Meyer. And here's what I want, want you to understand. What I did was I went and did my own research. I have not heard lots of messages from Joyce Meyer. I have not heard a lot of messages. I read one book from her, and it was the book called The Battlefield of the Mind. And to my recollection, there was, I don't, I've never read a book, and let me just say this right now. I've read a few books, right? And there has not been one book that I have agreed with every single thing inside of it. Are you hearing me? I got two uh-huhs, and that's about it. Okay. The reason for that is because when I read stuff, I'm like, ah, oh, man, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know, man. I just, that's just not, you know, I, that, that doesn't gel with me. Now, I can't remember anything like that, right? But here's what I want you to know. 
I went ahead after he said that because, you know, people have had back, back chatter. I'll just call it back chatter. And, you know, some people have different opinions on her and all this and that. But here's the thing. I've never talked about it because, to me, I don't follow her. So I don't listen to her. So I'm not paying attention. And I want you to know why she is accused of being a false teacher in this sense. And that's the reason why he said this. Now, I'm not calling her a false teacher. I want you to hear what I just said. I'm not calling her a false teacher. What I do want you to know is that there is some things that she has taught that are false. You understand me? There are some things that you need to be very aware of and you need to pay attention to. And the reason why she's categorized as a false teacher is because she kind of flows in that vein with the word of faith, you know, because she kind of flows there. But here's the thing. I want you to understand what is specific because we got to be specific when we're going to talk about someone, not just throw a name out there and say, you know, this person. Like last week um, when, um, when Anthony was speaking, you know, I heard him say something about Joel Osteen. I've talked about Joel Osteen in the past, and I feel like that guy would be categorized as a false teacher. He doesn't preach the gospel. He's a motivational speaker. I don't, he shouldn't even be called a pastor. But anyway, that's just, that, that's just the reality. But when you listen to her teaching, there's this teaching that started, I think it was Kenneth Hagin might have been the first one who taught it, and it's this teaching. This is, this is where the problem is. It is a teaching that Jesus, when he died, that he went to hell. And when he went to hell, that he was no longer God the Son, that he was no longer deity, okay, and that the demons were beating him up, and that he was the first that was born again. All of that is false teaching. Are you hearing me? Now, these are things that, that I mean, you can go YouTube this. You can, you can hear her say this. This is not misquoting. This is, this is a belief that, it, that, that she was taught, right, that this is something that she learned. Now, where do you get that teaching from? I don't know. I, I don't know where you get that from. That is extra biblical. That is not truth, right? That, that there's, there's a problem with that teaching. Now, I don't know because in the, in, in the articles I read and all the stuff, it's not like she's saying this all over the place because some of you that have heard her, you've probably never even heard her say that because she doesn't go broadcasting that, right? She's not like, hey, saying that every single time that she preaches. Now, what I can tell you is the reason why I don't call her a false teacher, and some people do, first of all, some people miss, they, they say she has a church. I don't know that she has a church. I don't think she has a church. She speaks at conferences, and predominantly to women. And so you're accusing her if you're saying, well, she's a, she's a woman preacher. Listen, I don't have a problem with a woman preacher. I've already explained that before. There's a problem with a woman being an elder in a church. That's problematic. That's not biblical, okay? We talk about that. We can have another conversation offline. But here's the thing. She's not acting in that place. But when, I, but when I go to her website, and you can do this yourself. You do this yourself. Go to her website. Don't do it right now. <laughs> Take my word for it at this moment. Go to her website. Look at her beliefs. Go to Faith Dome's website. Look at our beliefs. And I want you to know that we believe the same stuff. We believe the same things. And so what am I saying? Am I saying go jump on the Joyce, Joyce Meyer bandwagon? No, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, study your Bible. And if Joyce Meyer says something that's not scriptural, recognize it. But you know what I've said before? If Jason Quinones says something that's not scriptural, recognize it. That's what I'm saying here. And so the point is, is, is that teaching good? No. But here's, here's the other thing that I, that, that I want you to realize, is that when she teaches that, is she taken away, away from the deity of Jesus? At that moment, she is. At that moment, she is, she is talking about Jesus being different than who he is, and that's where it becomes dangerous. And you know what? The sad thing is that I think, and I, this, this is just my giving her the benefit of the doubt, I don't think that she's trying to take away from the deity of Jesus in any way. I think she's teaching something that's extra biblical that shouldn't be taught. It should be removed. Unfortunately, with the doggone blogosphere that we have, she could try to remove it, and it would never be removed. It's just the truth. Okay? But what I want you to realize is that every, when, whenever you listen to anyone, now, the other thing, is that it's not just that, but whenever somebody starts talking about, and she says this as well, she talks about she is not a sinner. 
And so some of you may agree to that. You'll be like, well, I'm not a sinner. Well, you know what? You're not agreeing with what the scriptures teach. That's the bottom line. So what I want you to understand is that there are certain things that are incorrect. And then the other one, and I don't know about this one because I, I, can't, I can't say this one, but, you know, with the prosperity, I'm not talking about Joyce Meyer now. I'm talking about the prosperity teachers and the word of faith teachers. They consistently are talking to you about how blessed you'll be. You got to sow a seed. Listen, if we want to be a mega church, we can be a mega church in like two weeks. All I got to do is start preaching that craziness. People will be flocking to Faith Dome, right? And so what I want you to get is that the reason why the word of faith and this whole, this whole idea is so wrong is because they communicate things that are unscriptural. Now, let me, let me, let me give you something real quick. I want to help you out here, and I, I want to read this to you. Because how can we know if, if someone is a false teacher in this, in this whole movement? Because there's some people, there's different, you know, there's different levels of their, if they're preaching that garbage, what it does is it feeds idolatry. Because that's the problem. I've said this before. When you are a word of faith person, you are feeding the idolatry in someone's heart. Are you hearing me? Because what does it teach you? Well, it teaches you, man, you know, you're going to be blessed. You're going to have everything that you want. And so you know what that does? That speaks to your idols. It doesn't tell you about the suffering you're going to have in Christ. They never go to like 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy and they talk about what? When they talk about these things, you know, where, 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 where Paul is telling, telling Timothy, hey, man, tell those who are pursuing riches to be real careful. Hold on a second. Wait a minute. I, I, I thought God wants me to drive this and have this. See, it's problematic because it feeds idolatry. And so anyone that you hear saying that, you know that's a false teaching. Now, let me give you some things because I went to this, this website. This, this is one website. This is one that I would encourage you to go to. I trust, you know, most everything that I've read on there I think is pretty spot on. Um, it's called gotquestions.org. And, and, you know, I've gone there a few times. And so I went there, you know, when I was laying in bed last night. And I was like, man, let me just check something out real here. I have the app on my phone. And I said, let me look up, you know, prosperity teachers or whatever and, you know, all that stuff. And so they asked a question, you know, about them. And this is one thing that he said. In the quest for prosperity, for, for prosperity, um, if the quest for prosperity dominates a preacher's message, he or she may be someone about whom Scripture warns. The following are some are some common traits of many prosperity uh, many prosperity preachers, false teachers. Listen to this: the core of his or her message is always God's desire to bless everyone. There is little, if any, mention of Jesus' words about self-denial, taking up our cross, or dying to the flesh. Almost all their teaching focuses on the gratification of fleshly desires rather than spiritual transformation. And when he's talking about fleshly desires, he's not talking about sinful desires. He's talking about fleshly desires, the things that you want. Obedience to God's command is rarely mentioned as a prerequisite for his blessing. Positive thinking about oneself or one's situation is often equated with faith and is presented as the means by which one can obtain financial blessing. So it's all about that self-promotion, all about, you know, how you feel about yourself, that, that positive self-image and all that kind of stuff. There is a marked absence of any teaching of the necessity of suffering in the life of a believer. Very little distinction is made between God's children and the unsaved in the positive promises of the message. The speaker rarely attempts any type of real Bible teaching that does not support the continual message of positivity and blessing. He or she stays away from passages that contradict the positive spin of the message. And I give you the, 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 the quote there, I mean the scriptural reference, 2 Timothy 4.3. Personal wealth of the minister is often far above the average lifestyle of his congregation. 
The only attributes of God ever mentioned are love and generosity. Scant attention is given to his holiness, justice, and righteousness. Neither the wrath of God against sin nor the coming judgment is ever mentioned. The only sins discussed at length are negativity, poverty, or a person's failure to believe in themselves. Forgiveness is emphasized, but with very little explanation of the repentance that was so important to Jesus and the disciples. And lastly, the prayer of faith is often referred to as the means by which humans leave God no choice but to bless them. Are you hearing me? And so what happens is when you have a person that's doing that, and I can send you that link if you want, so you can check it out yourself, and you can read it, read a little bit more, and look at the scriptures that are referenced there. But what I want you to know is that we need to be careful not to accept any of the, of the false teaching that comes with. And there, are, and there are clearly some false teachers because it's all about the name it, claim it game, and it's not like that in Christianity. And so moving forward, we must beware of New Age influence. New Age influence. What do we mean by that? You know, we, we, we handed out a book the other day. It's called Jesus Calling. Um, and I can't remember the, the, the writer, Sarah Young, I think is her name or something like that. And we handed out this book. You know, we, we, we didn't do like a whole bunch of research on the book or whatever. And so anyway, in there, there's a problem, right? And the problem is this, is that she speaks in the first person as though Jesus is speaking directly through her in all things. That's a problem. Now, I can say this because I read the intro of the book. I read a couple of the devotionals there. I read the intro of the book, and she makes it clear that her words are not the same in authority with Scripture. Are you hearing me? She makes that clear. So she, she makes that distinction. Nonetheless, it doesn't mean that people cannot get, get caught into, oh, you know, everything that she says is Jesus speaking to me. It's not like that. I want you to know that. Do you hear me or what I'm saying? Every single time that she's saying that, it is not Jesus speaking to you. And, and you need to be especially careful when she talks about things. And this is why you need to read with discernment anything that you read, right, or anything that you hear. Because what will happen is you just go ahead and you just have this false experience like, oh, yeah, Jesus spoke to me this morning. When? That's not the idea. And so one of, the, one of the critics is that, you know, she sat down, and in, in her intro she says, you know, that she didn't feel like the Bible was enough or however she quoted it or whatever the case is. And that's scary. It can be misunderstood, you know, because I don't know what she means by that. Does she mean that she needs more than the Bible? I don't know. I don't think that's what she meant. But the whole thing is we have to be careful because you know what New Age does? New Age is all about experience. It's all about feeling. If you felt the Lord, then God was in it. Hello. That's the thing in the church. The world, you know, says to you, hey, man, if it feels good, do it. In the church, this is how it is. If it felt good, it had to be God. If you felt that, if you, if, you were, if you were crying or, you know, if you had some kind of emotional experience, listen to me. You, you cry at movies, hello, it had nothing to do with Jesus. I'm just saying, it isn't because you're just so holy. It's because you're sensitive. God made you emotional. Even guys like me, hello, cry at movies, right? I'll be sitting there, you know, watching something. I doggone cry at Turbo. I don't know if y'all even know that cartoon. I, I watch Turbo and I cry, and I've seen it like a billion times, you know? I mean, I'm just, I don't know, anyway, but whatever. But the, 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 the point is, right, it's about these experiences. And listen, along with this New Age movement is this other thing called the emerging or the emergent church. And I'm not talking about the emerging church. Are y'all hear what I'm saying? I'm talking about the emerging or the emerging, the emerging church movement. Brother Juan, he posted an article about it on Facebook, and he got some flack because some people took it the wrong way. But here's the thing. In this movement, it is all part of this whole New Age idea of inclusion, and you bring everyone together, and you forget the fundamentals of the faith. You forget that the Word of God is the highest authority. You don't take the Word of God literally. Hold on a second. And they're calling this a church. They have conversations, not preaching. 
There's a problem with that. I don't have a problem having a conversation, but there's a time to preach. The Bible says preach the word in season, out of season. That's what the scripture says. And so you need to be careful with those type of influences. You need to be careful with the hyper grace influence. What is hyper grace? There's a guy, and I, I, read, a, I read a book. This is, this is the book, and in the book, there's a couple of things that I don't agree with 100%, but here's the thing. Michael, Dr. Michael Brown, he wrote a book called Hyper Grace, and in that book, he talks about a guy by the name of Joseph Prince. He quotes him over and over and over again. And this is a guy that preaches grace, like grace, like grace, like grace, like grace, like grace, 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 grace. Listen, I'm all for grace, but there better be a point of repentance in there. Because he who says that he has no sin, he makes himself a liar. He makes God a liar. That's what the scripture says. And so what they teach is once you, once, once you came to Jesus, you no longer have to confess sin because it doesn't even matter. Like none of that matters. And so then what happens is you have a false sense of security. You also need to be careful with hyper-Calvinism or hyper-Arminianism. What is that? Hyper-Calvinism is if you don't believe exactly what the Calvinists believe, you're not a Christian. Hyper-Arminianism, if you don't believe exactly what the Arminians believe, then you're that. Westboro Baptist Church, hyper-Calvinist. I, I, I'm saddened to say this. Mark Cahill, he's becoming a hyper-Arminian. I told you I was going to name some names today. We lo- I, I, love, I love Mark Cahill's book. You all have probably read it. The one thing you can't do when you go to heaven. But he is calling everybody who's a Calvinist, they're not saved. That's not true. Because we have a different belief. But we need to be careful with the influences in the church. This seeker-sensitive movement, we need to be careful with that. Where we can't preach the truth. We can't, you know, we, we, can't, we can't let, you know, we, we, we can't let the gospel really preach completely in a service. We need to be sensitive. It's about attracting people into the building. Hold on a second. Where is that in the Bible? That we need to attract, that we need to accommodate. That's not in the scripture. Paul wasn't trying to accommodate people. Hello. I mean, I'm just saying, read some of his messages. He wasn't trying to say, hey, just come in here and feel good. No, no, no. Because it gives you a false peace. And the last one I'll say is this. We need to be careful with the cessationist movement. What is a cessationist movement? Like, Say that three times. Cessationist, cessationist. You can't do it. One time, that's it. Cessationist. Cessationists believe. <laughs> Cessationists believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased to manifest in our day. One of my favorite cessationists is John MacArthur. I love him to death. So, so much that I have his study Bible. Right in, my, right in my office, I have his study Bible. And you know what I do? I argue with John MacArthur every time I'm reading something in his, in his notes. I'm like, that is not true. I'm like, why do you have to say stuff like that? Why do you, why do you have to deny? Because, because let me tell you something what a cessationist does. They deny the scriptures on the things that they don't agree with. Listen to me. That is false teaching. Whenever someone says, now listen to me. When I say the gifts are for today, I mean the gifts are for today. Your pastor, you may not ever hear me do this, but your pastor speaks in tongues. He sings in tongues. He prays in tongues. And when I used to sit over there and I used to be playing in worship and the Holy Spirit would come upon me, i pull my, my face away from the microphone because there's a way to speak in tongues in the congregation. And the way you do that is you do that in order. You do it decently. And if there is no interpretation, you don't just speak tongues until someone interprets it. You are silently in your spirit praying unto the Lord for interpretation. And in this church, if you feel like you have an interpretation or word for the church, I stand right there now on Sundays, come and tell me. Pastor Chad is here. Pastor Aldo is here. Come and let us know, and we'll discern if this is God, and we'll let it go in the church. That's how that happens. Because presently, I don't know anyone who has the gift of interpretation of tongues. Now, if you have that gift, please let us know so we can go ahead and utilize your gift. Amen? 
Because it's what the Bible says. But what a cessationist does is they create doubts in your heart about the things of the Spirit. And so these are all things that are false teachings that we need to be careful of, that we need, to be, we need to have our eyes open to, and we can't just walk around and act like they don't exist. But can I tell you something? In the places that we can walk together, we walk together. Like I said, I argue with John MacArthur on some things, but hey, there's plenty of stuff that I quote him on right here before you guys. There's plenty because he does some really great research. I'm just like, dude, how did you drop the ball here? I don't know. You know, and, 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 and all of these people are guilty of the same thing because, you know, some people, I told you about the Joyce Meyer thing, there's some people, like the guy that I was reading some of that stuff on her, you know, he's reached out to her, hasn't heard back from her to have a conversation with her, and let me tell you something, the same thing has happened to John MacArthur. When he did his conference strange fire a couple of years ago or whatever, there are plenty of people that have reached out to him and said, hey, man, let's have a conversation about this because you know what he did? He equated, and I can, and I can show you the YouTube video where it's on there. He equated um, those tongue-speaking Christians to Mormons. That's what he does. To the degree that I wrote him, a, I wrote him an email. I don't do stuff like that. I don't send emails because I'm like, people ain't going to read my stuff. But I was so offended. I was like, dude, are you serious? You understand I'm speaking in tongues over your Bible. <laughs> you know, that'll sink in. I'm praying for you like, Lord, fill him with the Holy Ghost right now in Jesus' name. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, I, I mean, do you realize that you're the reason why I study the Bible the way I do? Listen to me. The reason I study the Bible like I do was because I was hearing John MacArthur. And I was like, man, this guy knows his word. And he does. He made a mistake in an area. That's what he did. Does that mean he's not my brother? Does that mean that he's a Jehovah's Witness? <laughs> well, anyone who doesn't speak in tongues, you know, they're equal to the Jehovah's Witnesses. What kind of stupidity is that? It's so harsh. That's so unnecessary. Let me move on. I know I'm taking a long time here. Glory to God. Thank you. I got it. We're going we're gonna to keep going then because I'm good, and I think that was my mom's voice. And so I, if my mom said it, we good, y'all. Glory to God. Listen, as we rightly divide the word of truth, as we rightly divide the scriptures, we will hold fast to what is true and we will reject what is false. And what we need to be, church, is we need to be a scripturally sound, spirit-filled, disciple-making church. Are you hearing me? We need to be a church that is given to the scriptures. We need to be a church that is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to be a church that is disciple-making. I'm going to run through my third point quickly because I know kids don't mean saying it's okay. So here's what's up. They're like, yo, Bishop, you got to hurry up. Amen. So rightly divided. I'm, I'm on that hour mark right now. I just hit the hour mark. I just want you to know I got my time in front of me. I know what's up. So number three, say this with me. Rightly divided truth, rightly divided truth. Leads, to devoted leads to devoted or honorable living. Rightly divided truth leads to devoted or honorable living. And look, look with me at verse 20 here. It says, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. So what is Paul doing? He transitions the conversation and he talks about honorable and dishonorable vessels. In what house? He's talking about the house of God. He's talking about among the church, in the church. Listen to me what I'm saying. There, hear, me, hear me now when I say this. There are some people in here, you are a vessel of honor. And that's good. But there are others of you in here, you are not a vessel of honor. There are some of you that are in here, you are walking with Christ. Jesus is your Lord. Jesus is your Savior. And he is God of your life. And you're serving him imperfectly, but you're serving him. And there are others of you in here, you are not. You are not a vessel of honor. And if you died today, you would spend eternity in hell. And you are not right with Jesus because you came to church because you heard a message. You need to know that. You need to understand that there are in the house, there will be two types of people, sheep and goats. There will be wheat and tares. There will be honorable vessels and dishonorable 
honorable vessels. This is the truth. And Paul is saying that they're in a house, there are these different types of vessels. In verse 21, he says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will, uh, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Look at that. Look what he says. He says, in the house, there's vessels of honor, vessels of dishonor. And he says, but if anyone cleanses himself of the latter, if you repent of your wickedness, if you repent of your sin, if you turn from your unrighteousness, if you turn from your way of thinking to God's way of thinking, he says he'll transform you and make you a vessel of honor. That's good stuff right there. And he goes on, and he says then, and how, how, how do you cleanse yourself? He says, flee also youthful lust, but pursuing righteousness. So what do we do? We flee from the lustful desires. And, you know, they put youthful lust in here because when you're younger, you know, I guess when you're younger, you have more. I'm not guessing this. This is the reality. But the reality is when you're younger, you're, you, I mean, you have all kinds of desires that are just all over the place. Hello. Not to say that they don't continue with when, you, when you get older, but I can promise you that as you get older, you're tired. Hello. You get a little bit more worn out, and you want to pursue that, but you're like, nah, bro, it ain't happening. I'm just, I'm just saying, as you get older, right, as you're young, boy, you got energy for everything. You're ready to run after all of it, glory to God. Uh-huh. Youthful, and, and, but as you get older, right, you start to be like, nah, man, I'm not going to do that. You know, it's like, you know, lifting weights and stuff like that. Like, you know, as I've gotten older, I mean, I still got a pride issue. I'm going to let you all know I have a pride issue. Um, and when I see someone lifting something, I'm like, yo, I got to lift that, bro. Like, I can't, like, I, I just, I'm, I feel that. But, you know, sometimes I'll be in a workout, and I'm like, man, this workout ain't going to be anything big. So I'm, I, I won't kill myself because of what? Because I'm like, Psh, you know, I ain't getting nothing for this. But this has been like five years ago. Boy, I got to kill it. Just as you get older, you start to measure, like, where do I really need to exert my energy? Hello. Because I only got a certain amount. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's there, you know. So youth, like, you know, so just, just know these young people. Y'all laughing right now, but as you get older, glory to God, you're going to feel that. I work out with these guys who are like 10 years younger than me. I'm like, man, you finished that workout like three minutes before me. I'm like, bro, you're 10 years younger than me, bro. You should be killing me like that. But anyway, the point is we, we have these youthful lusts. And so he says, flee from youthful lusts. And what does he say to pursue? He doesn't say, say, say just run from something. He says, run to something. Pursuing righteousness, right? Pursuing righteous judgment, pursuing the scriptures, pursuing God's will, pursuing God's word. And he says, pursue faith. So that is devotion to God based upon what God has worked in your life, living for him, not by sight, um, pursuing love, you know, pursuing the love of God, pursuing love for other people. And then he says, pursue peace, look at this, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. What did I say earlier about division in the church? There are people who just don't believe like you. They don't believe exactly like me. They believe the fundamentals but they believe differently. And he says to pursue peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. With those, now, now, now the Bible is saying this. I'm not saying this. There are people that call out of God, or that call upon God out of a pure heart. And look what he says again. Remember I said this earlier. He says this again in verse 23. He says, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. What does the enemy want to do? Listen, y'all. We're in a battle, and the enemy wants to divide. That's what he wants to do. And so he does that through foolish and ignorant disputes. And look what he says. A servant of the Lord. Everyone in here is a servant of the Lord. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach. So we shouldn't fight about stuff, right? We should have conversations about things. We should be gentle about things. Y'all pray for me because I got to work on my gentleness. Hello. Right? You know, I'm able to teach, you know, glory to God. Pray for me that I can continue to grow in my teaching ability. Patient. I'm not always the most patient, right? Pray for yourself too because you are not either. Um, you, you, you're over here trying to tell me I need to hurry up. I can feel it like, Bishop, hurry up. Come on, bro. Come on, bro. I feel it. Y'all just be patient, glory to God. In humility, look what he says. In humility, 
in humility, hear this, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. In humility. Listen, when you correct someone, are you humble about it? What is your demeanor? Do you come and talk down to them, or are you trying to lift them up with your correction? Listen, it should, hear me when I say this, it should bother you to have to correct someone. You understand what I'm saying? Like, you should have to pray, like, man, I do not want to have this conversation. Because if you're the other way, man, you got issues. If you're the other, if you just love correcting everyone, you got problems. If you just love telling everyone how they're wrong and how they need to get this right, if that's you, listen, when I preach messages like this, like when I'm sitting here talking about, you know, when I'm naming names, I don't, I don't want to do that because I don't feel like I'm better than anyone. But the reality is these things have to happen. But he says in humility, look what he says, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. He didn't say correcting those who you love. He said the ones that are your, are your opponents, the ones who don't believe what you believe, the ones who are against you, correcting them in humility. And look why he says this. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Look at that. The purpose of our humility, of our correction, is so the way God can grant them repentance, so God can turn them from their sin, so God can turn them. And I love, the, I love this last verse. I absolutely love what it says here. And that they may come to their senses. That's so awesome. Because they're out of their mind. Hello? You know, we were having a conversation today in, in, in the class over there, and, and we were talking about, uh, you know, one, one of the doctrines, and I said, listen, most of the doctrines here, these are closed-handed, so we're not going to ever change on them. This one happens to be open-handed. I said, but I've done some research, and I've done some study on this, and I said, you can have a different opinion. It's okay for you to be wrong. <laughs> you can believe differently. It's okay for you to be wrong. I mean, it's, it's all right. You can do it. You can be wrong. That's okay. But the truth is, the truth is that we want to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ and we want to see them turn and, and to come to their senses and look at this and escape the snare of the devil. Say the snare of the devil. I want you to, this, this is something that God is like just, I mean, smacked me in the face, just like opened up my eyes over these last few days and brought me back to this realization. Look what he says. He goes on to say, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Listen, every person who is in opposition to the truth, understand this. They have been snared by the devil. Did you hear me? I don't think y'all get this. I said that we engage and we are in a spiritual battle. And what you need to realize is that there is a real devil who really blinds people. There is a real devil who really snares people. There is a real devil who really deceives people. And if we want to be effective in bringing them out of that darkness, we have to engage the battle. If we want to be effective in rescuing them from the bondage and blindness that they are in, then we have to be engaged in this battle. And we need to realize that this is not a battle against flesh and blood, but this is a battle against powers and principalities and spiritual hosts of wickedness. This is a battle. But here's the beauty of this battle is that Jesus says in the book of Colossians, well, not Jesus, Paul says in the book of Colossians that Jesus disarmed powers and principalities, making a public spectacle of them on the cross triumphing over them in it. And so the beauty of this, this is not a battle that the enemy has won. This is a battle that God is waiting for us to walk in the victory for. Are you hearing me? 
It's a battle that we have already been given the victory, but we need to position ourselves because although the enemy is defeated, he's defeated. Listen to me now. In our lives, we are in this battle. We have armor to put on, and we have, and we have protection and defense. But you want to know something? Every lost person, every person that is in opposition, they are in a bondage by the enemy. The Bible says that they are under the sway of the wicked one. The Bible says that they are blinded by the God of this age. This is what the scripture says about them. And so these people that are in opposition, we're getting mad at them and angry with them and we're arguing with them when we should be brokenly praying for them that God would deliver them from the snare of the enemy and we are to, and we and that way we can see them coming out of this bondage to darkness. Listen, the reality is that Paul says this is how we correct them. This is the reason why we do it. So we can bring them to the light. And not that we bring them, but God brings them. We simply are a light that shines brightly, shines humbly, shines gently, teaches correctly, that is there in humility, that is patient, that is understanding. Man, this person is in bondage. I thank God for my mom. Because let me tell you something, I thank God for my grandmother. I thank God for these two women. Because I sit here today as a product of these women who were patient as a product of women who were prayerful over my life, who prayed for my salvation, who prayed me into the kingdom, who were there, who were gentle, who were, who were able to correct me. I didn't even know I was being corrected. I saw some of my testimony the other day. I said, I, my mom caught me up one day. I was getting ready to go out to go hang out with my friends. And she's like, hey, let me read this to you real quick. She read to me, you know, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. She's like, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Only fools despise wisdom. And I was like, man. I said, man, I'm a fool, man. I walked out calling myself a fool. She didn't have to call me a fool. That's how the Holy Ghost does it. I walked out, got in the car. I'm like, my, I preached my first sermon. I'm like, yo, you know, we're fools. They're like, what are you talking about? My mom just read this scripture to me. I said, we're a bunch of fools. They're like, yeah, man, go ahead and roll that blunt. Let's go ahead and keep going. I'm like, yeah, let's keep being fools. Hello. I'm telling like, we're fools because we do the same thing every day over and over again. That's what we do. We're fools. But listen to me. It is because, it wasn't just because she had the right words. And, and I'm, I'm going to tell you something. And this is going to sound crazy what I'm about to say. And I believe this. Paul said he was not ashamed of the gospel because it was the power of God unto salvation. But let me tell you something. We better be a people that are prayed up and walking in the power of the gospel. Because I think one of the reasons why we don't see people coming to faith in Christ is because we're not walking in the power of the gospel. And so our words, they're going to go forth. They're not going to return void. But we need to be those people that are walking in the power of the gospel. Amen? Let's all stand to our feet. Let us pray together today. Amen. Father, I thank you so much for each person that is in this place. I thank you for your word that is truth, God. And I pray that we would be a people that would rightly divide it. I pray that we would be a people that are sharpened by your word. I pray that we would be a people that are changed by your word. I pray that we would be a people who live for your glory and for your honor, God. I just want you to put your hand on your neighbor. Just put your hand on them. I just want you to pray for them right now as I'm praying. Just be a vessel unto them. Just minister unto them right where they are. Father God, you know the hearts of each person that is in this place. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would be with them in a great way. I pray that your power will be with them in a great way. I pray that we would become a people, Lord God, who recognize the battle that we're engaged in, who recognize the fight that is going on, and who realize that you have given us an armor, you have given us weapons, you have given us an ability, Lord God, to walk in victory over our enemy, but also, Lord God, to bring deliverance to a world that desperately needs you, God. 
Father, I pray that each of us in this place would be a vessel of honor, my God. And I pray for those that, as I was saying, that they're not a vessel of honor, that, 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 that they would turn from their sin today, my God. For those that heard you speaking to them, Lord God, that they would turn to you today, that they would repent of their sin, that they would confess to you that they are sinners, that they are separated from you because of their sin. And Lord God, that they would, that they would confess that you are God the Son, that you came in the flesh, that you lived a perfect life, that you died in their place, Lord God, that you rose again, and that you are God and you are God alone. Fill them with your Holy Spirit, God. May we be vessels of honor who stand locked arms together, bringing you glory, bringing you honor. Use us to be light that shines in a dark world. Help us to be those servants, Lord God, of yours that don't quarrel, that are humble, that are patient, that are loving, that teach the truth correctly, God. And as one version says, in peradventure, Lord God, may you bring the lost to you through our lives. Father, as we pray, now grab somebody's hand as you prayed for them. Grab somebody's hand and let's pray together for the lost that we know. Just lift them up by name. Name them right now. Father God, I lift up unto you, Lord God, my family members that don't know you. Father God, I lift up my, my, my friends that don't know you, Lord God. I lift them before you right now, Lord God. I pray over them, Lord Jesus. We pray for them. Father God, as they are in the bonds of wickedness, as they are snared by the enemy, my God, as they are blinded by the God of this age, as they are, Lord God, completely dead in their trespasses and sin, Lord God, we pray for them today that your mercy would reach them, God, that your conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment would be upon their heart, that they would hear the call of your voice, my God, that they would hear the sound of the gospel and that they would turn unto you, my God. Bring deliverance, Lord, as only you can. May your kingdom come in this earth, Lord God, as it is in the heavens, Lord. We pray that you be glorified. And we ask you all of this in the great name of Jesus. Everyone said, come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.